Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to dive into John chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 35. We're going to be reading down as concerning Jesus' teaching today on the fact that He is the bread of life. One of the really exciting things that we're going to cover is the fact that all that come to Jesus, that the Father gives Him, He will in no wise cast out. Very precious promise that we receive from our Savior, and that when we become children of God, there's no longer a fear or a necessary worry that we would ever be discarded from God, that we would ever be pushed aside or, or given away by God, but that all that He receives, He adopts as to be His own children. He connects to Christ through the Holy Spirit. Unto the day of redemption, we are sealed and we shall be delivered. And so it's a very exciting a portion of Scripture for us to get into. So before we begin, let's turn to the Lord asking for His blessings in prayer. And then we'll get to reading. Father in heaven, we thank you for everything that you have done. We thank you for the Word of God and for what it is about to show us. We pray, Father, that we will, through the Holy Spirit of God, receive the blessings that you have for us today. We'll thank you and praise you for everything that is said, everything that is revealed in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, guys, as we begin our reading, we're going to be in John chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 35 to start. And the word of God says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all of which he has given me I should not lose anything, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? Now, We'll, we'll start with this section from verse number 35 down to verse number 42 at this moment because of the powerful teaching that Jesus gives, but the reaction that, that comes from Jesus' teaching from the Jews. Now, keeping in mind that this is the conversation that was born all the way back in John chapter number 4 when he was, when he was on the hillside, and then we come into John chapter number 5, and he's feeding that that multitude of the 5,000. And so he's been under this constant um, inquisition from, from these Jews that have chased him. And, and, and so his teaching of the bread of life today. And so at the beginning, what we covered yesterday, talked about uh, the manna. So they challenged him and they said, well, if you're really the son of God, well, then, then give us some more food, essentially is what it come down to. Because they, they compared Jesus and the possibility of him being a Messiah to uh, Moses and the fact that in the wilderness they say that Moses is the one that gave us that manna. Well, the reality from yesterday is we understand Moses didn't give them anything. God is the one that made the provision. Moses was just simply uh, the man whom God had chosen to lead this people 
on, on the earth. Well, Jesus is acting in the same kind of frame. It's not Jesus that made that that bread possible as it was, those fish to be able to cover that 5,000. It was after the moment in which he had asked God's blessing upon the provision for the people, and he broke those, those, those breads and spread them out among the disciples as they would pass them out among the people, that, that made all of the difference in the world. And so that do I believe that Jesus could have done that miracle by himself? Absolutely. He's the Son of God and the Lord of all creation. But Jesus has already testified that he did not come to do his own will. He came as a servant to his Father to accomplish all that the Father has desired. And so Jesus, who could have easily multiplied that bread in his hands right there at that moment, took what he had, lifted it up to the Father, committing it unto the, the care of the Father, who then would make the multiplication inside of the baskets that would feed the people. And so Jesus is explaining to these people that the very manna that, that the Father made provision to the people for at the prayers of Moses and at the, at the request of the people, the very manna that was on the ground was a representation of exactly who Jesus is. It was that life-sustaining bread, and that's exactly who Jesus is to us. He is our life giver. He is our life sustainer. And so that the, the scripture goes down in verse number 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. Amen. And, the, and that is a reality. The, the hunger being referred to here is the satisfaction of the, the, the heart, a satisfaction of the of the soul as it was from from not having to seek after a fulfillment of of pleasure, a fulfillment of desire, a fulfillment of of those things of the flesh. For in Christ and through the Holy Spirit that seals us under the day of redemption, we have a satisfaction. We have a we have a completion of what we've always known that we've been missing, but in many different ways of the flesh, we've tried to fulfill that void in our own life and in our own heart. We've only at best been able to satisfy it for a short period of time, but for that longing that exists that has not been able to be satisfied when one comes to Christ and faith in the Word of God, there is a satisfaction, a complete and total satisfaction of the heart because what you're seeking for what what you're desiring is a reconnection to the holy what you're desiring is is a a renewed fellowship with the god who created you and so that you would be looking to a multitude of different religions to try and find satisfaction and not able to do so you look to a multitude of different uh, physical enjoyments and and purchases, material purchases to try and fill this, this connectional void. You, you go through relationships left and right, friends, wives, uh, different uh, companions of, of swords, and you're seeking for this, this fulfillment. You're seeking for this satisfaction, and you just, multitudes of lives of people just never come to this satisfaction until they come to Christ. God is the one. It's the relationship with the Father. It's the relationship unto salvation that you've been desiring all this time. 
and you've not ever been able to fulfill it in anything else because there is nothing else that can fulfill this. Only Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes into the Father but by me. Only through Christ is that fulfillment accomplished, is that is that satisfaction completed. And that's exactly what he's saying, is that your forefathers ate manna, yes, but they were very hungry at a point after they finished eating that. It was the daily provision of that manna and a double portion as concerning on Friday so that they didn't pick anything up or do anything on Saturday. But yes, it, it was the, the, the temporary satisfaction of the material things that God provided for man in order for him to continue surviving and living. But it did not replace the relationship with God, how much greater it would have been for people to have recognized the gift of God instead of just going to Moses and constantly complaining. That they would look to God at the provision of the manna. The angel's food is what that manna was called, that, that was there for them to be able to have every day, that they would see the work of God for their provision, and they would rejoice as a people that have been blessed of God. But they never did. And I think a lot of times we don't either. But look look at the interesting statement that is made in verse number 35. As Jesus said, I am the bread of life. <coughs> well, of course, we know bread doesn't provide any type of liquid nourishment. But look what Jesus said concerning being bread. Jesus says, He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. A coming to and a believing. Now that's pretty exciting. Because there's plenty of people in our society today who say, well, yeah, I believe in God. Well, yeah, I believe I, I believe in that stuff. It's not like I'm, I'm faithful or like I'm a religious nut or anything like that. But I believe it anyways. I believe, the, the scale of a belief. A 10% believe is basically what they're saying because they don't, they don't attend church. They don't read the Bible. They don't pray. They don't care in the grand scope of things but grandparents or great-grandparents have talked about this jesus fella and they've had enough exposure to religion maybe from the television or friends or, or family members or maybe having even had a really tough spot in life and decided to give this church thing a go so they had some time in church that they they, they, they tend to have a little bit of a connection to the idea of god of jesus and of all of this christian stuff but they really don't have a, a fullness of, of faith. And so it's like 10%. Yeah, I believe. But those are the people who do not come to him. Uh, there's a lot of people that even grace the doors of every church in our society from Sunday to Sunday that really they say they believe, but they have not surrendered to Christ. They have not come to him. And so that Jesus makes makes known that there are two steps to this process. One is coming to him. That satisfies the hunger. And believing in him, that satisfies the thirst. So you got to come. you got to believe. Something to think about. A verse 30, 36 reveals that these Jews, even though 
they've come to him. See, they, they have pieces of it, right? They came to him. They, rather, they jumped on the boats over in Tiberias that, of the shipmen that come through, and they, they crossed over to Capernaum to find him again, or they walked around the boundaries of uh, the lake in order to come from the, the Tiberias side over to the Capernaum side that they were trying to get to. Regardless, they came to him. There's no question about that, but they didn't believe in him. So as they come to him, they're looking for the position of not having to be hungry anymore. But because they didn't believe in him, that they weren't satisfying the nature of their heart or the reconnection of their faith in, in, the, in God and the Father that sent him, but that they were trying to satisfy a material need that they have because they're hungry again. And so they came to him out of hunger, but they didn't believe in him. And so they were still both hungry and thirsty. Now, as compared to the woman of Samaria who t- said to Jesus, give me this water that I, that I do not thirst again. Well, that's the very connection. When she came to that town and she said, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. She really got a hold of that well of water that sprung up inside of her. And this is a changed woman from that period of time. These people are people who are unchanged. They're still hungry. They're still thirsty. They, they have not come to faith in the work of Christ. Only they, they, they believed in the bread that they ate, but not in the miracle that produced it. And so they, they've come, but they didn't believe, so to speak. And Jesus even testifies of that in verse 36. He says, you, you've seen me, but you do not believe. And so in verse number 37, he said, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. Now, the recognition of this statement is that all of these people have sought Jesus out, but they didn't come by the leadership of the Father to Jesus. These guys weren't there for the prospect of salvation or for the prospect of faith at all. Remember that they came to find Jesus to to get more food from him or to have him deliver them physically from Rome. But they didn't have any concern whatsoever with the spiritual things of God, nor with salvation, nor with any connection to the things of God. And so that, that they've come to him, but they didn't get drawn to him by the Father. And I think that this really testifies to a lot of things that are going on in our modern-day Christianity, especially in the United States, that churches are filled with people who have come for the purpose of the entertainment. They've come for the purpose of of their friends or a, a, a connectional relationship with people in their community. They've come because they like the the method and the style of the preacher. They, they've, they've come for the programs that are offered. and There's so many different reasons why they come, but that the multitudes of these people in the thousands in some congregations and hundreds in other congregations have come not because God has drawn them to himself, not because of the Father giving them to the Son, But they've come for the same purpose that these Jews came to Jesus for a purpose of getting something, for a purpose of of using Jesus to be able to accomplish something. They didn't come by faith, being drawn from the Holy Spirit and and being led by God. They, They came for their own material desire and their own own 
selfish reasons, really. And I think that 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 really sums up a great deal of our modern Christianity today. And it says that all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And him that comes to me, I will in no wise, that, that phrase, no wise, is, is a statement that is in, there is no way, nothing, as, as the Apostle Paul would say, neither height nor depth nor width nor length of days nor shortness of night nor, nor angels nor demons nor any other thing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, he recognizes in Romans chapter number 8. That's exactly what this phrase, no wise, means here, is that there is nothing that would cause Jesus, once you have been received from the Father and have been given unto the Son, there's nothing that could cause him to cast you out. And so this is one of those areas of of issue that that Arminians often have to deal with is because it, it, it is a belief that that in the loss of salvation or it, it, as it was a conditional based salvation as to being having it and losing it is the, is the idea of what Jesus is actually saying here first he's saying in verse number 37 all that the father gives me and so that we recognize that through Jesus it is the father who saves us Okay, it was the work of Christ that made salvation possible, which is why Jesus came to do the will of his Father. But it was it is the Father who saves us. It is the Father who transforms us into becoming the children of God. It's the Father. And all of that work of the Father is done through Jesus Christ. And it's sealed and it's certified by the Holy Spirit inside of the heart of a believer. That's why you can readily see the multitudes of the thousands within this modern Christianity that, that have a form of godliness in that they show up to church and that they participate in the programs and that they've got their hands waving and they're bouncing up and down and acting like they're all kinds of, of, of spiritually filled within the, the rock and roll music that's being played. And a lot of the contemporary music, as I've, I've often get in trouble with this, but it's just true, a lot of the contemporary music could easily be mistaken for secular music because they use the same rhythms, they use the same sound, the same distortions, the same the same beats as it was. And so all that's being differentiated is, is words, if you can hear the words that are being said. Most people are motivated, and, and Satan isn't stupid. He knows what he's doing here. Most of the people are motivated by the, the sound more than what the words even testify to. And so that we find that there is a great deal of corruption that comes out of that and that it is a people drawn to music or it is a people drawn to an atmosphere. It's a people drawn not by the Father. And so that we understand in this case that all that the Father gives me, these are people to whom the Father has drawn unto himself to salvation. Now, this is one of those steps where Calvinism uh, is recognized as, as the reality of, of the totality of depravity inside of, of the human heart being as that it is uh, so depraved in every part of him that the, being dead in the trespasses and sins recognized Ephesians 2 
that there would be no possibility of of him even being able to make the choice to receive Christ if it had not been for the Father drawing this dead man unto life. For we understand that it is not in the power of man to be able to bring forth the resurrection, but it is only in the power of God. And so that God draws this person through the Holy Spirit unto the Word of God and reveals to this person the nature of their death, giving them the hope of transformation that this person receives Christ and is transformed from death to life. And it is a total work of the Father. And so that it is the Father who at the at the salvation of a soul has given that soul to Christ. And it's the Father that has given that that soul to Jesus. And and it says that that soul that, that comes to faith will indeed come to me, will have faith in me and will believe in me and will follow me because they now, as it says in John chapter 10, they're now capable of being able to hear my voice. Uh, John chapter number 10, beginning in verse 25, he said, my sheep know me and they hear my voice and they follow me. He said, a stranger they won't follow. It's the wrong voice. So we find all this connection in scripture, but it comes down and he says, all that the father gives me shall come to me. And those that come to me, this is the genuineness of salvation. Those that come to Christ and have truly received Christ, unlike the multitudes of, of articles that I see every day, whether it be in the Christian post or whether it be in Charisma Today, or uh, which is a charismatic uh, magazine post, whether it be in, in a multitude of different religious publications that I see where you, you find these Christian music artists that now have separated from the faith and are no longer believers in Christ and all of these these different pastors that have stepped down from the pulpit because they're not believers anymore. All of this is is revealing a modern Christian movement that is based upon its desire and passion, but not upon the, the foundation of Scripture and Christ. Because those who have truly uh, come to faith in Christ and have been born again have, have been literally drawn by the Father, have come to repentance, and, and their lives have been completely reborn or completely changed in this new birth. And that now that they have come to Christ, that they, they are a part in Christ, and, and it is a guarantee this verse 37 shows will in no wise there's no possible way that those that belong to my father are going to be cast out now keep in mind that jesus is the resurrection and the life and if you've come to the father then you have been given to the son and the son has sealed you through the holy spirit you are going to live you are going to be with the father there's nothing that's going to separate you from god period you will in no way, no wise, no possibility be cast out. There's no loss of salvation. You cannot lose that which you do not uh, have any authority over in possession. Salvation is a gift of God. It is maintained by God. It is, it is sealed by God, and it is received by God at the last day. You have absolutely no authority over 
this salvation, but to be thankful that God would have drawn you unto himself and would have revealed his son to you and the gift that he had given to you and that you would be able to receive faith from God in the atoning work of Christ for your life. For you were dead in your acknowledgement of that. And so understand that there's no possible disconnect. There's no possible way of being discarded. Rather, you discarding yourself or God discarding you. Either one is impossible. For me to separate myself from God is to say that I'm more powerful than God to sever the relationship. And that means that God's not almighty. That means that God is not all-powerful. But we understand from the Word of God that that's not the case. And this verse number 37 is, is, is reiterating the point. That there's an impossibility of even me casting me out. You're powerless. But a true believer would never desire to be cast out. A true believer would never, would never once doubt or argue the case of their faith, for they know whom they have believed in, and they are fully persuaded that he is able to keep that which we have committed unto him against that day, as the Apostle Paul would would say in Scripture. So, you just you you just can't lose your salvation, and it comes down. And he reiterates the point. Uh, verse number 38, he said, I came down from heaven. Now, keep in mind, it is, it is verse number 38 that, that he loses the Jews that are surrounding him at this point. At verse number 38, he says, I came down from heaven. You get that, right? Which means that Jesus would have connection to the Father in, in an eternity and that Jesus would not be, in effect, the son of Joseph but would be literally proclaiming the Son of God. And that's exactly what they receive. You look down at verse number 41, and it says, Then uh, the Jews then murmured at him. Now, murmuring is, is an activity of, of whispering under your breath, as our phrase would be of quietly kind of whispering back and forth to each other so as not to be heard by the greater crowd, but to be heard by the specific people that we wanted to talk to with, without any interruption. And they're murmuring because he, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They're murmuring over this. Well, Jesus in verse 38 said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will. In other words, all of the miracles that Jesus has done up to this point and all of the things that Jesus has accomplished to this point are none of the things that Jesus is operating in necessarily of his own will. Everything that he's come to do, he's come to do of the Father. He's come to pave the way for, for salvation. Obviously, he's going to accomplish that on the cross, and he knows it already. And that's why it's such a scene at the, at the Garden of Gethsemane with, with the intensity of his his prayer and the intensity of his suffering as though he was sweating blood is because he knows what he's got to, to do. But his humanity is crying out for the possibility of that kind of bypassing. And then who could blame him? 
His divinity says, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. So praise the Lord for our Savior's sacrifice that he would make on our behalf. And that's that's just priceless. But understanding that Jesus, he, he even testifies to these guys. I didn't come to do my own will. You know, from that statement, I came down from heaven not to do my own will. Had they been listening, and if we're listening today, in fact, but had they been listening, then they would have realized that the feeding that they all received of those 5,000 just from five loaves of bread and a couple of fishes, that feeding that they received was a gift of God, Jesus' Father. That, that certainly didn't have to happen, but was a, a grace, well, aside from grace, was a mercy of God that would, that would have made that provision of that bread. Because remember, Jesus broke it and blessed it. He gave it to the Lord to make the provision for the people. Whereas Jesus easily could have given them a loaf each. But Jesus surrendered this moment unto his Father for God to make the provision for this people because Jesus in no way came to do his own will, but came to do the will of his Father. Now, if you ever wanted to know what the will of God was for your life, you ever sat back and you said, well, I'm just waiting to discover what God's will is for my life. And I've heard that so many times before. Really, it's not that I'm saying that people are insincere when they're saying this, but oftentimes I think in the background, in the recesses of their heart, I think that there's a little bit of an excuse that's sitting here, which means that that I really, I'm not going to participate in any of the programs or any of the classes or anything uh, that happens at church because I'm waiting to see if that's what God wants for me to do. So I'm waiting for God's will. Well, you don't have to wait any longer because we're about to receive from Christ a direct statement about the will of the Father. So let's see if you fulfilled this part. Jesus said in verse number 39, And this is the Father's will which has sent me. We're getting a first-hand account of what God's will is for Jesus and ultimately for those of us who are with Jesus. So, this is the Father's will which has sent Jesus, that all of which he has given me. Now, this would be all of those lives, all of the souls of those who have come to faith in the Father through the Son. So this is another reason why back in John chapter number 5, remember about verse number 22 down to 26, Jesus makes the testimony that all judgment is given unto the Son, so that you honor the Son as you honor the Father. Well, here it is the point. All that the Father has has drawn unto salvation, has brought to Jesus, and, and in fact given grace to believe in Jesus to be the Messiah. So all this is the work of God that, that has existed inside of the hearts of man. All that the Father has given Jesus. He said, I'll lose nothing. This this is the will of God. That again, I come back to the 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 extreme Arminian position of the the possibility of losing salvation. 
And it is a belief that it isn't God that, that, that drops the ball on his end, but it is because of the multitude of sin that I get into in my life that I end up separating myself from God because of my sin that, that is too grievous for God. And that I need uh, repentance and forgiveness again in order to reestablish that relationship. But that completely spits in the face of what these scriptures are saying from Jesus himself. I mean, it's written in red here. This is Jesus speaking. And, and ultimately, that belief in the possibility of losing salvation spits in the face of Jesus because Jesus says right here that all that God gives to me, in verse number 39, I should lose nothing. Well, Losing nothing means not letting anything go, not losing sight of anything or leaving anything out in, in, of the inventory as it was. And so again, this reveals the impossibility of being lost again or losing salvation because Jesus himself has written and read, says, I should lose nothing. And then goes on at the end of verse 39 to say, but should raise it up again at the last day. So we, we have the assurity of salvation, but also the assurity of, of resurrection, of, of that time of the promised rapture or the resurrection of the body, even a bodily resurrection. So we'll understand that this is the will of the Father not to lose anything. So ultimately what it comes down to is the multitude of people that you say, well, I mean, at one time they had made a profession of faith unto Christ, unto salvation, but now they're living their life as though it doesn't exist. Or you see all of these contemporary Christian people who are bailing from the faith because they've made enough money and enough notoriety to be able to go into the secular worlds. They don't believe in Jesus anymore. And, and, and the reality is, is that they've never believed in Jesus unto salvation. Now, it doesn't mean that they didn't know who he was. I mean, anybody that grows up in church could tell you a whole story about who Jesus is. Anybody that's repeatedly heard the Christmas narrative or the Easter story, anybody that's been around uh, Christianity for any period of time could reciprocate the, the stories and tell you all about Jesus. In fact, there's plenty of lost people who actually know their Bible better than a lot of saved people do. I mean, it's not the, the, the fact that you can recount all of the stories, the fact that you, can, you, you know about Jesus and about his life and about the works that he did, and none of that stuff matters. Have you been drawn to salvation? Are, are you truly saved? That, that really matters. And salvation is not something you decided. I know that's not going to be very popular as concerning a message because people want to feel that they had some kind of, of effort to bring to the table. They want to feel like they had some kind of say and, and rather to accept or reject or to make this choice, but it doesn't exist. You did not choose, and this is another challenge to Arminian thoughtists as concept of the free will of man, and be advised, I do believe that humanity does have a, a free will, 
The issue behind the free will of man, though, which is not uh, paid attention to by most Arminian circles, is that it is sown in corruption. And so that the freedom of the will of man is, is only going to be within the boundaries of all things corrupt and that there was no, no knowledge of a holiness except for the conviction of the law of God that is written upon our heart that does keep track of some sinners, but there's a multitude of sinners who pay absolutely no attention to their conscience as it was and, and are left to their debaucheries to commit. But that when the Father re chooses you, this is that, that concept of election, of course, but and in, in, in whatever's the belief of that. And the truth is, with, with Arminians, they do believe in a limited atonement. They just don't want to call it a limited atonement. But they do accept that there are some who are lost. And they do, they do recognize that there are some who come to faith and are saved. And they do understand uh, the importance of, of proclaiming the gospel because they know that the word of God is that which brings forth faith inside of the hearer to come to faith, to be able to receive God and to be saved. It's, it, it literally comes down to a difference of the way that things are worded. Because if you believe that, that some are saved and that some are lost, then you believe in a limited atonement. Because a limited atonement means that there, there are going to be multitudes, in fact, that will be lost and only a very few that are saved. Now, Jesus taught a limited atonement when he said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there are who go that direction. He said, narrow is the way, and few are the, the ones that come unto life. And so even Jesus reveals the reality of a limited atonement. It's just the idea that the Arminian says that, that I have a direct uh, ability that is built in me as the image of God to be able to decide for myself if I'm going to accept Christ or if I'm going to reject Christ. Whereas the Calvinist on the other side, or shall I say those of the Reformed uh, belief, would say that, that the heart is of such a state of depravity that the only decisions that I truly would be able to make are those things depraved, and so it would require the very grace of God to even cause me to hear the message of Christ. Both the Arminian and the Calvinist believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, but that the Arminian would say, well, I listened to the Bible. I decided that this was true. I decided that I would receive Christ. And so I decided that I would be saved. The Calvinist says that, that there was no possibility of me being able to hear the truth of Christ apart from the Father drawing me through the Holy Spirit by His grace to an acknowledgement of the Word of God, to receive the truth of Scripture all by the work of the Holy Spirit, and that my salvation is, is granted unto me as a gift from the Father to me, a sinner, through repentance and faith in the message of, the, of Christ. And so it's, it's really different at that point 
And the reality is, is, is that if you, if you consider your own life, uh, there are many times, there are many people who have come into my own life all my growing up years. There were pastors that lived in our community that would come and knock on our doors and share the gospel with us. There, there, there were times where, where I would go to church at Christmas time or rather at Easter time for the programs or for family whatevers. Uh, but majoritively growing up unchurched is not having that connection. There, there are plenty of times that I heard uh, the gospel message. There are plenty of times that 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 people were were trying to share salvation with me, but it just it wasn't even existent. I didn't even it didn't even r- register in my soul for the depravity of who I was. And I reveled in sin, and all of the free will that I had was engaged in the wickedness of the world. For it wasn't truly free. I was a slave to sin, and that's a reality to our will, is that much of the time we think that we're free, but we're not. We're a slave to sin. And and the, the only freedoms we have within the slavery of the bondage we have to sin is to make sinful choices. And thus, when we're drawn to Christ and salvation comes, we're now born again. We've got a brand new nature. We have a new spirit within us, just as David would cry out, renew a right spirit within me. We have that right spirit that now gives us an option. It gives us a true freedom to be able to make the choices that you wish you could have made all along. To actually know good in order to be able to do good instead of being slave to sin. So that we see that, that the promise of God, the very will of God, is that when we are drawn to Christ and we are, we are born again, we have received salvation. That, that not only is Jesus not going to lose us, in verse number 39, not only is he not going to lose us, but he's going to raise us up in the last day. And again, Jesus reiterates this point in verse number 40, as he says, this is the will of him that sent me. This is the will of God. That everyone which sees me, Seize the sun. And guys, you're, you're looking at him today. You're looking at him through the lens of the word of God in front of you. You're able to see the atoning work of Jesus. You're able to see the effectual grace of God right in front of you in this moment that you would see him and believe on him. That you would receive him. He says, everyone which sees the son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And thus we find that the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And what is their retort to this? Which, by the way, is all under their breath, all in the murmuring. They said, isn't this Jesus? Is this the son of Joseph? Don't we know his father and mother? How is it that he's able to say that he came down from heaven? Yeah, they didn't know him, nor did they know the one who had sent him. For had they known God the Father, they would have acknowledged the Son. And that's exactly what Jesus said to them. He said all the way back up in verse number 36, He said, I say unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. The testimony of their lack of belief is discovered in verse number 42. 
And so Jesus, and we'll, we'll finish here and we'll pick back up with this because Jesus isn't done talking about being the bread of life yet. And we've yet to get to the discussion that Jesus has with them as concerning the, the fact that people quit following him because they thought he was talking about a literal uh, cannibalism, eating him. And we'll get to that tomorrow. Uh, but Jesus finishes off this day with this. He, he answered and said to them, don't murmur among yourselves. Bunch of fools. <laughs> we'll pick up with this tomorrow, though. It's so worth it. Don't, don't lose track of this. Let this video be received to your heart today that the Holy Spirit would draw the Word of God inside of you and do an effectual work and then, and then be engaged for what we will receive tomorrow because it's just priceless. It's written in red. It's the words of Christ. It's priceless. Father, we thank you for this day. We, we praise you and ask that you will bless us in a mighty way to be able to receive of thy truth and to be able to, to receive this precious grace that is extended to us, this free grace that you provide. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. Thank you for what you're going to do. And we'll pray that you will give us privilege, Lord, to live the rest of this day in Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys, keep you guys, cause his face to shine upon you, and Lord willing, I'll catch you tomorrow as we start up at 43 and really get into the meat of the matter tomorrow. God bless.